Hi and welcome to the final whistle. I'm Kabir and with me is of course as usual my partner in crime Mr. Jerome Douglas. How are you doing bro? Still watching all the Euro games and zombieing through your day? Yep, tired. I just had to zombie myself just bringing me right right here. <laughs> but, but good thing you were working from home and yeah but let's not talk about European football today. We've we've tried and you guys our listeners don't are having none of it lah. So today is back to our final whistle jobs or TFW job series where we look at various roles and jobs within local football. If you've yet to do so, do check out the first series first in our series where we had a chat with local football agent Kairul Ashraf. Jerome, have you ever wondered what a club chairman or vice chairman does? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen prominent club chairman like, you know, Ed Woodward, you know, yeah. finally leaving Manchester United. Then of course we have like for Arsenal, we had David Dean previously. Um then now it's Josh Kroenke, whatever his name is. But that's the thing. We know it from a European context, but we have no idea what it means to a Singaporean context. I think that's the most important. Um, so, of course, I hope by the end of our episode that our doubts and assumptions will be clarified. Joining us on today's episode is Karim Balestier Khalsa, Vice Chairman Darwin Jalil. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me uh, back again after the previous uh, time when we spoke about uh, sports science. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think before we start the interview, just a little disclaimer. Whatever I say today, uh, my own perspective and my own mirror of my own uh, um, thoughts on local football, not in any capacity as a vice chairman or a council member. But but it's fine. You are... Of course, Mr. Don Darwin. You're the Don, bro. Hey. <laughs> you can say anything you want. You are within yeah. a safe space. <laughs> so I think there have been a lot of uh, controversial uh, views about my comments. But like I said, um, if there's anybody who dare to say that they have their heart on their sleeve for Singapore football, I believe I really have done quite a bit. So I don't think it is controversial, but it's just like how you would like to take it or, or understand the perception that, that I put across. I mean, despite, you know, what is said between these four walls, I mean, at the end of the day, it's for the betterment of Singapore football. And I think that's something that people have to understand. Okay. Like, yeah, no matter what. So we heard that you were actually a national rugby player. So how did this whole journey into Singapore football actually start for you? Okay, so basically after my playing days, I've dedicated my life to building a business. So uh, my early days after NS, I was uh, heavily investing my time into running my own company. So what happened was um, when things got better and more stable in 2011, I decided to bring, and at that point of time, of course, I was playing social football. So I played for teams like AS Tornadoes, Hasta La Vista and all that. So I wanted to have, uh, there was two purposes. One, I wanted to bring back my friends together, uh, boys from uh, Potong Pasir and St. Andrew School, uh, who I had spent a lot of my youth together. And the other one is also using the company as a platform to give back to community and also be involved in uh, youth development. So a, a bunch of us got together and said that, you know, look, uh, I, I, I made the overture and saying that the company will foot the cost of running the team. So I was um, asking my friends to gather all our old saints and and uh, boys from Potong Pasir. Some of them are former uh, S-League players or some were currently, you know, just came out of, of S-League. So uh, we put the team together and started competing in in in, in uh, social football on Sundays and all that. Then slowly it grew eventually into more serious uh, platforms. La. Before we get into your time into local football, it's the assumption that the vice chairman role or the chairman role in SG football is done on a voluntary basis. Um, so what do you do actually for a living outside of local football? Okay, I mean, it was a good point you guys touched about, about 
chairmans in EPL and all the other European leagues. Uh, the very fact that they are executive uh, chairmans, which means they are in a paid role. For us, uh, it's a purely volunteer role. Uh, there's no remuneration whatsoever, Not no payment made to us. So I make a living running an events company which uh, specializes in uh, conferences and also audiovisual production. Um, apart from that, we also do venue management. We manage football venues uh, like previously uh, Rainforest and the Arena. When that is also, I mean, based on my context in football, the teams and uh, the pool of uh, customers to bring them to the venue and also drive the sales for the venue. Lah. So now we're going to head on into your first foray into, was your first foray into local football with Yunus Crescent and how did you actually end up with the, being their team manager? Okay, so as mentioned earlier, uh, I started a team in 2011. We were playing in uh, Sunday League, Social Leagues and all that. So eventually we gathered some uh, former players like Nantakuma, formerly from Gombak, uh, Jonathan Shi uh, from Gelang and Tanjung Paga. So these were very close friends that I grew up with. So they gave me an idea that we do not want to be a regular social team. So we came up with this tagline where um, we call it, you can live your dreams. So in 2014, 2015, from that social team, we had inclusion of a few former national players like Tanku Mushadat, again, Indra, Precious and all that. We went on to play regionally. We played in Malaysia, we've played in India, we played uh, quite a few big teams like JDT, then Lions 12 and all that. So we wanted to give a platform for young boys to play among senior players and also an opportunity for them to use the club as a stepping stone into professional football. Yeah, so we were garnering a lot of attention with with the teams we play and all that and some of the boys eventually got uh, trials with some of the then S-League clubs. What are your roles as a team manager of a side in the NFL or SFL? Mm, okay, so... What happened, how I ended up in, in Yunus Crescent is uh, that um, in 2015, I was preparing the season, the uh, NFL season with uh, Singapore Recreation Club, SRC. Uh, then there was a call coming from Yunus Crescent saying that, you know, it was two weeks before the deadline of the tournament and they said they didn't have the finance and the players to compete in that uh, 2015 edition. So unfortunately, at a period of time, a lot of my players had signed for Yishun Sentek uh, in Division 2. Uh, while Yunus Crescent was uh, competing in Division 1 in 2015. So I had to pick and rely on the younger boys uh, from uh, back then Project Wars FC, uh, put them together, together with some of the few Yunus players that they have. So we just took the maiden season 2015 as a tryout and more than just a team manager, like I said earlier, they didn't, they didn't have anything. So they just had a coach in uh, Madani and uh, assistant in Razali just just the two of them. So basically, I came in to to fund the team and also to put the team together and, and keep them up to compete in the league. How much is it for an NFL team to sustain and go through a full season in the NFL? Okay, I mean, there's, there's of course uh, uh, different tiers of uh, budgets that you can work on. But I think the the bare minimum you will need is somewhere around 15 to 16,000 per year just for... We don't even talk about playing allowances and all that. We just talk about training fields, heating up the team, providing the medical and all that. So that's the the average cost. Lah. Yeah. So of course, there are some teams who pay their players. So they'll be probably running around fifty to 60,000 a year. Yeah. Do the players who play in the NFL or SFL, are they 
paid as well as people who are working normal jobs outside or are they still on a part-time basis? Definitely not. I mean, for me, I mean, for for NFL, it's more like a stipend. You get like a game, $50, $100 kind of, of uh, uh, payment. And then some of them will pay on a basis where every month they give you $250 and then every game you win a different bonus and all that. Okay. Yeah, so that's the kind of money we're talking about. Like. It's really uh, on a very amateur scale. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you signed uh, Indra Sada and uh, Tengku Mushadat. Were there plans for Euros Crescent to step up into the S-League at the time? So, of course, in 2016, when we win Division 1, uh, or even prior to that, the reason why we took that step into uh, NFL was to be the next team to compete in the S-League back then. So we string a team together which is reasonably experienced and competitive that was able to take on. For example, uh, in 2016, Pahang came here for, I think it was a mid-season uh, preparation for Malaysia Cup. We took them on at Jurong East Stadium. The game ended 5-2. So, I mean, we position ourselves or equip ourselves well to be a team that can be competitive. So, of course, having winning the title in 2016, things change. Uh, the club owners suddenly wanted to be involved again and they I wanted to... I thought you to, were the, at the time the already owned the club, no? No, no, no. So when I when I came to the club, they asked me to run the club. Like, mm. yeah, just run. They still had ownership of the club. So, but then uh, things didn't went as projected or as promised. So that's when I decided to leave Yunus Crescent in 2017. So what is the status of the club right now? So you know, still compete. They are in. Uh, they are back down to second division in in uh, S- uh, NFL. Yeah. Okay. So now, of course, the next part we're going to move on is to the main part uh, where you are currently the president of the uh, Project Vols Oxley Sports Club. When did you start this project? Okay. So basically, when I left Unos Crescent at the end of 2017 season, uh, we all knew it was not time to say goodbye to to football as yet. So we had plans like I mentioned earlier, that uh, were not able to be executed when we were at UNOS. So we regathered back the team and uh, decided to register as a society for Project Voice Oxley, uh, thus the renaming of the club and also introduction of uh, other sports such as hockey and all that that compete in um, other NSA leagues. So we were given, we were a new team. We had to compete from uh, the entry league, which is IWL. Uh, so that's how it started. So for us, um, we went, unfortunate because of the COVID, if not, we'd have hoping for a back-to-back wins from IWL to Division 2 to Division 1. Yeah. Um. So what are the further plans right now for Project Faults? Of course, as a club, the all of us still hope to be a SPL site uh, one day. Uh, but at this current moment, we are currently being like a sister club to Balestia Kalsa where we produce uh, younger players. So for us, it's a must that we recruit players below the age of 21, a uh, minimum of six per season. So we continue to develop them and hope that with uh, training and all that, they become good enough to fit in the under 23 criteria in SPL. Mm. So over the past few seasons, every year consistently, we at least have uh, one or two players that, that promote from uh, uh PV to BKFC. Well, some uh, of these players, yeah. Yeah, so this year we have got four. Nice. So we've got uh, Jan, who is a, a French boy. He's currently 17 years old, studying in a French school. So he's he plays in the Blessed Casa Under 21 team. 
Uh, we have a French PR also, Adrian, which is a defender, uh, also from French school, also in under 21. And then we've got uh, Iftika and uh, Hongkai, yeah, who were, who was also previously uh, national under 16 youth team. How do we find these players for Project Vaults? Okay, so we go very extensively to schools and to watch their games and also getting coaches' recommendations and all that. So what we promise versus um, other SPL setup is, of course, the opportunity to play. Mm. Because many of them, young players, when they go into SPL, depending on their performance, they won't be uh, having a lot of chance. So over here in, in, in Project Vaults, although there's no under-23 rules in NFL, we make a point that we start and follow the same rules as SPL. So we give room to to three uh, under twenty three players in in uh, SFL as well. So hoping that with the game time and all, and most of them complete ninety minutes. They don't come off at halftime. So with the presence of ex international players like Precious, uh, even previously Tanku Musharat and uh, Jonathan, and you know, and we also get uh, our foreign other foreign player Nordin Tali also uh, played for Itwa uh, in the S League. Yeah. So with the guidance of these people who are also their immediate coaches in training. It gives a lot of um, encouragement for them to get better, and you know they are always being guided and uh, reviewed every game. And although, like you know, we are amateur team, but I think we have elevated and we run like a SPL team. We we do uh, video analysis for games. Uh, we sit the boys down and 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 review the performance and all uh, midweek uh, during training so that they can better prepare themselves for the weekend game. And you you involved in both teams. How big is the gap between the the quality in the youth in Ballester and Project Vault? Okay, it's different in a sense where when boys play against men in the SFL, they tend to be they tend to improve faster. So what happens is in in uh, COE leagues of uh, SPL clubs, they are playing amongst their peers. So you play in your under seventeen or under twenty one. The the level of competition is even. Like in in SFL where you got ex-players, some who have uh, former uh, internationals, this and that. So you are forced to match up to their standard. Whether whether be it, you will never be be uh, as skillful as them or as experienced as them, but at least you are able to compete and, you know, match, match them up in terms of physicality and also play style, you know. You, you, you challenge for balls and this will help the boys learn faster. How do you bridge the gap when you sign these uh, players from Project Vaults into Ballester? How do you bridge the gap? Do they, do you think that they, there's a lot of work to be done for this? Okay, so basically when, when we sign them up to SPL, there are two major components that we need them to match up. One would be the fitness side of things where of course in a professional side, the fitness is more stringent and the other one is for them to actually uh, blend in into the the system, because most most clubs have got a natural progression system where you go from under fifteen to seventeen to twenty one into SPL. So these boys, some of them uh, came out of nowhere, so they have not been in the system. Uh, they previously were in private academies, this and that. So it's a bit of a culture shock, yeah. Because some of them, truth to be told, are more competitive in private academies compared to our local COE leagues, yeah. Because they go out. Uh, to compete the the private academies organize tours for them to to play like the Gothia Cup and all that in, in Sweden and all so the level of competition is really very high so when they come to the local club 
sometimes not necessarily they have to fit in or learn from the local club, but they impart a lot of values and experience to the local club, having compete at higher levels. Pardon my ignorance, but has there been any players from Project Vox who have graduated into the senior team in Ballester? Yes, I mean, previously we've got Max Go who played uh, with us in the uh, 2019 season, I believe. And then before that, we had uh, Norisham Jupri uh, in 2018 season. And then uh, we also had uh, players like uh, Hafiz, our goalkeeper, our reserve goalkeeper. Uh, we also had players who already left professional football and then came back through Ballester like uh, Nazri Sabri and all that. Which is a nice segue to our next question. Ballester Kalsa, how did you come into the setup? Okay, so basically in uh, end of 2017, when I left uh, Eunos Crescent, uh, Mr. S. Tavanison approached me and asked me if I would be keen to join the club uh, and uh, be his deputy at uh, Blaster Kalsa. So I started off, uh, like I said before the interview, it was, it was a bit different because the role was, I mean, the designation was different, but the role is more like a team manager. So I had to deal with players. I had to to make arrangement for kidups, uh, assist in in uh, scouting for players, this and that. So it was not an easy transition because being a volunteer, but the scope was almost full time. Yeah. So I had to sacrifice a lot of time off work to to do it. So, but I live in a six 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 rule where I I volunteer at the club six hours six hours with my job six hours with my family and six hours of sleep. But how do we find the energy, you know, doing it for, doing it voluntarily, that means you're not getting paid. Do you think like, some, do you feel like sometimes of, it's not worth it? Yeah, there have been many times in my, in my time at the club where I wanted to give up, to be honest, because uh, things were not moving as fast as I wish it was. And people do not see the perspective that Singapore football needs to change. And then I, I, I went back to ask myself, why did I study in the first place? So a lot of people who are very pessimistic, who always criticize the game, but do nothing to, to change it. So for me, I, was, I felt that I was uh, privileged to be in a position where even though not paid, I have uh, some influence to change the game. And the best way to do it is to be at a local club. Yeah. I mean, we can't change football overnight. It has to start somewhere. And I think Balestier Kalsa has given, given me a good platform to showcase what I can do uh, and also influence uh, certain changes which I feel is important for our game. You touch on about some things that you do right now at, at, at Balestier. But on a daily basis, you talk about the 6666 rule. You forget the 6, it becomes something <laughs> else. <laughs> so what do you do as a deputy chairman at a local club? Okay, so basically on a day-to-day basis, I come into the club and uh, assist them in, 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 in the sales of merchandisers, uh, looking at training plans, looking at scheduling of uh, the trainings, the bookings, uh, also dealing with players with all the administrative issues, like some of them needed clearance for, for training, to be exempted from school for trainings. These are things which I do a lot of letter writing, writing to partners, writing to sponsors, uh, that is almost on a everyday basis and also dealing with uh, uh, key stakeholders like uh, FAS, uh, EFC and FIFA if need to over certain matters. And uh, majorly, I'm involved in almost every aspect of the club. Lah. What does the chairman do there? Okay, so basically, Mr. Tava has been there for I think, more than, I think, uh, more than 30 over years, 40 over years. Yeah. 
So he is more uh, active with FAS role now. Uh, so that leaves me a lot of uh, responsibilities at the club. And I, but I always consult him on, on every decision made uh, or to be made. And also put across proposals before we make the decision. Uh. So we have, a, we have a good discussion prior to, to deciding on the changes that we want to implement. What are some changes that you have made during your time there that have, you know, you felt that have really given you much more responsibility in your role? I think the whole outlook of the club in terms of, uh, I wouldn't use the word commercial, the more of uh, the professionalism of the club, uh, the way the club is keyed up, the way we run our social media, the way we do uh, our partnerships in terms of sponsors, in terms of uh, community, I think have elevate, elevated the club a lot. We went on to partner uh, people like That's for Life, which is very important to drive the message of football because through parenting, that is where we can really hope that parents can be more encouraging to their sons wanting to play football. So the other element is also to look at uh, like the partnership we have with uh, Boys Town, where we know, you know, youth at risk, uh, many of them are talented boys, you know. Rather than we we lose them through to, to crimes or to uh, other parts of society, it's better to bring them back and let them continue to develop as players uh, in the game. So apart from that, of course, uh, a lot of uh, eyeballs on global brands like Adidas, Jeep and all that, which is not a regular uh, scene you see in a local football uh, after so long. I think... The last Adidas was in the league was I think Elbrex wearing it a couple of seasons back when their parent club was wearing uh, Adidas. So locally, in local football, I think this, these elements are very important because we also ride on their uh, presence in the market to elevate our teams. And of course, a lot of hype and a lot of, um, uh, what do you call that? Vibe from people who wants to be seen in global brands, but on a local team. But how do you do that though? Because, you know, let's be honest here, Ballester is not like, not part of the top three or top four teams in the in the country, but how do you convince like clubs, uh, sorry, brands like Adidas and, you know, That's for Life and all okay, that. Okay, so basically, like a lot of these brands uh, would like to promote brand loyalty. That's one. And the best way to promote brand loyalty, I believe, is through youth development. Because when you sell on, the idea of the brand to the youth, then they will get stuck to the brand for for quite some time, right? So when we speak to our partners and all that, the very first thing that we sell is youth development. Where while we are not the top three teams in the league, but we have been consistently producing younger players uh, as a like an introductory club into the league. Now we got very young players like 17, 18 years old breaking in through even before young lions have their young players in, in this season or the season before, Balestia always have 17-year-old players playing every season. So, it all very much depends whether you want to look, how you want to look at a club. You want it to be an elite team or you want it to be a development uh, club or you just there to compete. So, for Balestia, is always uh, driving the message of youth development and we want to give as many chances to younger players to play and compete at the highest level. It's a massive community project that you're you're emphasizing, and it's it's brilliant, you know, to see that community is being made a bigger part of it. Like you know, you talk about your that's life, uh, campaign, the sponsorships and stuff like that. Um, 
okay, now let's delve more into match days. What is your responsibility, let's say, at the beginning of a match day? Okay, so uh, at the start of a match day is, of course, to make sure everything is in place. The jerseys arrive, everything is there. Uh, the ambulance, the doctors and um, uh, the security are all in place. And then moving on into getting uh, the team ready for inspection by the referees and all that. So basically, typically, even though I'm a vice chairman, I, I serve as a team manager's role on game day. Uh, and yeah, right through the game till the very end uh, of the game, I'll be involved. Lah. So let's say the game starts at 5.30. What, what time do you normally start? My typical, if it's a home game, I will be there around 2 o'clock because there's more preparations for home game. Uh, given that it's our home stadium, we need to open the gates and make sure the broadcasters are in to do their setup and all that. Uh, if it's an away game, I'll probably reach around 2.30, three hours before kickoff. Then what time do you end? Oh, if home game will be longer. So 5.30 game, usually I'll leave stadium maybe around 9.30, 9.30, 10 o'clock. If it's an away game, then probably one and a half hours after the game. So now delving more into your responsibilities as the uh, vice chairman, um, do you actually sit in with contract negotiations with players? And uh, what are some funny requests that you've heard or funny things that have been requested? Of course, uh, for the club, the key people to sign uh, or negotiate contracts will, will be with the, the chairman, whether vice chairman or... So I sit in, in uh, I would say, almost all or majority of the... Depending on my work schedule. But I think in my four years there, I've been almost into 90% of the negotiations. Lah. Of course, there's some funny part. Uh, I'm sure in the previous interviews, you know, people say that we ask funny questions and all that. I mean, the reason why the club I mean, traditionally, the club have always been doing that. Why they ask about the support system around the player is also to understand the needs of the player. Yeah, sometimes it's not that the club asks funny questions. It's that we would need to know, let's say, for example, the, the, the player is a student. But apart from him being a student, he has to support his family. So these are questions where we need to ask outside football to justify the amount of contract that we can offer. Of course, we are trying to stretch every dollar to help the player. Of course, the budget is limited. But since I've been at the club for the past four years, I think there's been quite substantial jump in contracts that we offer to players. Uh, what has not been told is the circumstances of certain players, why we ended up offering a certain amount is because the players had other circumstances that cannot commit full-time. Yeah, so to be fair to the club, we offered them a, a certain amount. Because we know that, uh, let's say if, if you are in uni and you're in your final year, you won't have a lot of time to come for training. So that's the reason why we offer certain amount to certain players. When uh, when you're asking these questions, has there been any players that, you know, openly show their dissatisfaction or unhappiness? I mean, most of the time, so far, in life, in person, no. But uh, of course, we all know there are players who took swipe at us after leaving the club. Uh, but I think there are many other elements of that they, 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 they brought us to that point. It was not just because over the contract negotiation or whatsoever. It's just that how things were were decided in the course of uh, the players' time at the club. So what, what also affects is not only, let's put it this way, if I put uh, an amount on the table, if you didn't want it, you wouldn't have signed it. So why do you, after that, say it otherwise? So there were other elements, of course, where where the club management was not involved, like technical aspect of things, whether your playtime or or your or the requirements the coaches set on you in training after signing the contract. Yeah. So these are elements which 
holistically, I don't think the club deserve the label uh, because there are many other factors and of course, different players have got different circumstances. But on a player's point of view, they would say that, oh, uh, I want to, I, I want, I want to build a career in football, but I also want to study. Why is uh, my club not supporting me in this way? Why am I earning this much? I, I signed because um, I, I didn't have a choice. What, what is your view on that? Okay, so basically, in my time four years in Balestia, there have been players that we actually help with scholarships. So we give them a certain amount additional per month to help them with the, the financial side of things to pay for their, their, their education. And there are also players who, at maybe tertiary level and all that, we give uh, full scholarships to help them with their studies. So the club truly understand and embrace the model of you trying to balance football and studies. It is only that certain players might have a different expectation of that. Because let's put it this way, even if you are out in the reality, in the working world, there's almost impossible for you to do two full-times. It's either you work part-time or you study full-time or you study full-time and work part-time. But sometimes players in, in, in Singapore, they expected everything to be full-time. As in, in terms, they don't have the full-time commitment, but they wanted to be paid full-time. Has there been any players that you've paid full, uh, paid them a certain amount of money, like a full-time pay? But like you said, their commitment towards the club is maybe part-time or sometimes okay, even, there, sometimes I mean, not I, I there. wouldn't talk about players who have left. Uh, even currently, like for example, Amir Hakim, he's studying, but he's playing full-time for the club, you know? And the club is always very flexible in terms of... Uh, when they have their exams or when, when they have got late lessons. Like on certain days, he won't be able to train because he's having school. And we excuse them, you know. Because for us, I think what's most important for these boys is to plan for their career post-football. Uh, given that, you know, I'm not here to talk about policy, about, about rules or whatsoever, but at the end of the day, it could be injury or it could be playing opportunities that might lead you to retire early. So you need to be ready for that. And the club is always um, uh, more than happy to to assist in that area. So, of course, as a deputy chairman, you have to protect the interests of the club. And protecting the interests of the club means protecting the funds, the budget. I mean, Ballester have always been seen as a, you know, like, like you said, the image of no, a non-spending team. How do you, are you working to change that with with uh, how professional you, you're bringing the club towards and how do you handle this criticism? Okay, I mean, First of all, to touch on the part where you say trying to change the club, a lot of this effort is done either through my contacts, which is no cost to the club, or on my own effort, which is again no cost to the club. And that, to me, does not have a, a bearing on the budget that we have for the squad. And that is, we have different budgets allocated into different areas. So what we have seen uh, over the past time since I've been at the club is that players' salary skills have increased. Uh, and not that we are non-spending team, but right now, since I've been on board, we've been optimizing the spending. Because there were a lot of, uh, let's say, for example, we might not be paying uh, big money, but over the years, we've got big squad. We have 24 players squad, 23 players squad, which sometimes is not necessary. Yeah, so what we have done is actually to consolidate all that cost and then put them into more uh, prominent players that can contribute. Yeah, so instead of playing the numbers game, we go for quality now. So why wasn't that done like 
previously, you know, instead of having a big squad, why didn't you go for quality at the time? Okay, I mean, that was before my time at the okay, club. Okay, before. Yeah. Okay, so, right, right. I think previously what happened at Valester is also because a lot of uh, players were actually students. So, you needed the numbers because in case of exams, in case of uh, periods where they are committed to other stuff, you always have the numbers to put on game day, the 18 that is required. So, what we do now is to do more fact-find before we sign the player to understand his, um, his uh, curriculum uh, his day's commitment and then make decisions based on that. Yeah. So if it's something that doesn't work for us, then it's either that uh, we don't offer them a contract or we look at how else they can contribute. Lah, whether more, in a more junior part-time role. You mentioned that the, when, you know, when ex-players came down to our show and they spoke about um, the questions that you asked during contract negotiations. Are those questions still there? Do you still ask them that to try try to optimize, as you mentioned, optimize the... the yeah, of the course, pay. we, especially young players, we are very concerned over... Because, you see, I, I, I've, I've gone on record saying many times, football today is struggling against gig uh, jobs like grab food and all that, where players can earn way substantial amount of money against their football. So, like, for example, I know for a fact that even though some of my players are contracted, they are still doing that to supplement their income. But at this point of time, given the budget that we have in the league and the money available in football, we can't compete. So we need to find a way to mediate and find the balance. Yeah. So that that will include having to sit the player down to understand how many hours a day they are putting in into food delivery versus their studies and also football. Because like what I've touched on before in, in my last visit here, this actually translates to higher risk of injuries, which the club is very concerned about. Yeah. So, for us, we can't say no to, to them earning outside football. Lah, you know, let's put it this way. The, the temptation is, is too high. And the, the requirements of youth today in terms of expenditure and all that is there. They have desires. They want to spend. You know, they've, they've got relationships to keep up and all that. So, if we also do not want to lose them because we feel that they have a potential. It's just that finding that sweet spot in terms of distributing the time commitment to me is the essence. Lah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've also throughout my time heard not only full-time players also do that, you know. So how, how do we say no to them? We, we can't. And speaking about money, you know, LCS has come, have come in with loads of cash. How do you bridge that gap between Ballester and LCS then? Do you think that maybe one day, even with or without privatization, Ballester can reach those, those levels? Okay, at this point of time, it's like I said, it's going to be very difficult for us because... I have mentioned before, before the interview, if let's say we have got 10 private owners who are willing to, to seed money into 10 local clubs, we don't have enough land to build 10 training centers, right? So there will not be an even playing field and as long as they have access for everything where they have got money, they got facilities and they got a good structure, it's very hard for local clubs to compete. So what we try to do instead is that there is so many players LCS can take, right? And then there's, of course, the, the, the competitive teams like Tampanese and all that, they will take the elite national boys who are, which are not in LCS. So where does Balestier come in in this equation is to tap on players even way younger who do not get good playing time in bigger clubs to give them uh, opportunities in hope that they will improve and fast track themselves faster than being in bigger clubs. Yeah. 
So I feel there's enough um, employment opportunities around in the league to facilitate this. But it's again, the league, I would say, my, I, would, I would repeat myself again, that we do not have enough games in the local league to justify the frequency of play. Yeah. So, LCS is going to be the big guns that are going to run. But the, for the rest of us, I think it's still competitive. We still are able to to put a team together that that, that can compete. And uh, it's not everything is about money. La. When you're on the field, it doesn't matter how much your salary is. La. You know, you compete for honours. So what I've, I've actually angled Blessed to be is where a club where players can come, play and be proud of and compete against the big guns while we might not be be winning in terms of money, but we can have pride that we can put up a good competition. Do you then think that privatization should happen for all clubs? Okay, I think at, at this moment, uh, again, like I said, this is my own personal capacity, my own personal thoughts. Uh, to have all clubs privatized is a bit difficult because um, having privatized club means the club doesn't receive any seed money. You know, it's purely on the ownership of the club to to provide the finances. So to do that currently in football is almost uh, impossible because we still rely on on SportSG for facilities and this and that. So to be a fully private, the question is there's a lot of question. Where you gonna play? How how you gonna how you gonna uh, run the team and and in finances also, it will also make football. It could be a platform where it's uncertain for players given that certain in a privatization model, there will be the elite companies that can pay and there will be companies that struggle. So that can also make football become an uncertain uh, profession where they might have problems with payment of salaries, this and that, like, you know, given the pandemic, who, who will be able to sustain that, right? So this model of clubs being private is still something we need to moot about and think about very, very seriously. Uh, where else we can look at the other way uh, where the league is privatized. When the league is privatized, it's a bit different. We're talking about naming rights. We're talking about, uh, what do you call it? Um, TV rights. There are a lot more other elements that we can sell. Of course, at this moment, nobody's going to buy our product. But it is to structure the product to make it sellable, which I think can be done. Yeah, so we, we have to look at different, different um, properties of the league where we can put upfront for people to pay to play more uh, proactive role in it and eventually hoping to sell it as a commercial value. Money-wise, another revenue uh, revenue stream is of course transfers. Not having transfer fees for most of our, actually 90, about 90, 90 plus percent of our transfers in the league also doesn't bring, uh, is, is not beneficial for clubs, right? Do you think having transfer fees would benefit clubs, especially for Definitely, I think one of, one of the biggest draw for Balestier is to benefit from transfer fees because we have got a lot of young players who started with us and end up with the big boys, right? So we will be one club that will benefit a lot from it. But, I mean, having to put transfer fees, I mean, part of the reason why transfer fees was not in frame. Of course, previously in 96, where they started the league, there were some form of transfer fees, right? Uh, but it was very minimal. But eventually, why it didn't carry on is because we are under a subsidized model. When you are under a subsidized model, you've got placeholders for all the various activities that you've got and the funding comes from there. So where does this money for transfers come from in a subsidized model? It, there's no money in there, right? So that, that again, I said, if it goes out to a privatized league, 
where even let's say for example KPI is like you finish whatever your ranking there's different kind of money this excess money can be the one that uh spent on transfer fee depending on the performance of the team uh at the end of the season you've spoken about driving more commercial streams for clubs how do you think um or how do you go about doing that and do you think that is an achievable target for SPL clubs okay uh, for Balestier, what we have been doing is we've been constantly engaging authorities. We want, we've spoken to SLA where we wanted to have a, a... I mean, we're not looking like LCS to build a training ground. We are looking at maybe a piece of old school which is currently not being used where there is a football field. And then we undertake the whole uh, property and then commercialize it in terms of the spaces in that facility. And also at the same time, solve our problem of training fields, right? So, uh, and apart from that is, of course, to make the club more visible regionally and also uh, locally where we, you know, what we've been doing, uh, driving different um, commercial photo shoots to make the product of the club looks good. Lah. Yeah. So, I think it's very important that the other stakeholders allow us this lifeline to have access to these, um, what would say, facilities, right? To, so that the clubs can monetize this on their own. Yeah. And then eventually, over the years, maybe we look at a time frame of three to five years to reduce subsidy or eventually then making the club privatized. You know, the club needs to learn to earn their money. Yeah. Because currently in football clubs, let's put a, a, a typical structure where you got your, your chairman, your vice chairman, and you got your GM. Who in that structure is a commercial person? There's no one, right? So even for myself, I'm doing it at the club for free. But who, which other people, this is, I mean, volunteerism is something, a road which is less traveled, you know. Not many people uh, volunteer in football these days. And even like my peers and all that, I tell them, come, if you all think you all have ideas, contribute to a club, you know, be part of a club. People say, oh, you're crazy, I waste my time, you know. Yeah, but everybody have got something to say, but you do not want to do it. So the structure of the clubs today, which again, I said, goes back to subsidies, because FA structured the subsidies in such where you only have that uh, administrative stuff. Who would come in to do the commercialization and privatization of the club? You need to have people in there. One recent development that we've seen, because I've been doing shortcasting for um, FIFA Esports for probably the last, uh, I would say, six, seven months. So then was the launch of the Ballester Khalsa Esports Club. How did that whole move come about for you guys? Okay, I think... It's something that we've been thinking a lot for almost one and a half years now. Uh, we wanted to catch on the global trend of uh, eSport. Having seen big teams in, in Europe introducing their eSport team and also a whole lot of celebrities coming on board buying eSport teams and all that. So I think, and not having said that, Singapore eSport uh, industry alone is already a catching trend. It is already flourishing, you know but none of the SPL club wanted to write on it. So of course the league tried with the ESPL and all that, but it was a different thing because that is just like, for example, for me, it's an exhibition tournament. We wanted it, we wanted a group of players to be on board a club and eventually looking at uh, paying them to contribute to the club in the virtual space. So right now for, for Balestier, there is two fronts that we are fighting. One is the physical football and the other one is the virtual football both serve the purpose and also expands the, the viewership catering to the different needs. Maybe a person don't like a physical football game. 
but they prefer the the the, the FIFA platform. So right now, what we have seen is in a short few months, an increased following on social media. Uh, also a lot of uh, hype on uh, the cyberspace in terms of uh, our eSport team and having worked with one of the previously prominent uh, eSport teams also helped in terms of the followings and all that. So far, how how has it affected your branding in the like in in both in both um worlds of football, if you might say? Okay, I think it is very positive. Uh, even as we speak today, we launched our eSport jersey out for sale. Uh, it's flying off the shelf as we speak. Uh, as so as our 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 regular home and away jerseys, which we put out. Like for example, our goalkeeper black color kit got sold out within a week. Upon launch, yeah, which is unheard of for, yeah, for any SPL team. Yeah, so it it goes down to three very important aspects of it. One is planning. You know, you gotta since you're gonna work with uh, big brands, you gotta plan ahead because their orders are like six months, eight months in advance, which is difficult for most SPL teams. We are blessed to have Western assisting us with that, with the forecast and all that. Uh, and then secondly, what most important is that the design of the jersey. So this is something which I undertook personally. Uh, I went to, apart from my role in the club, I sourced for for material for badges. So sometimes we go even up to Thailand in, and in, uh, China to, to source for samples and all that. Uh, who can provide us the better materials. So what, pe- what makes people part with their money is when they buy quality and they buy something aesthetically nice, right? So rather than us, you choose the easy way out using heat transfer materials to just uh, put on the jersey. We went to source for TPU materials, which we source for silicon materials, which can add value to the to the overall look and feel of the jersey. People from the outside are looking at Ballester as a brand, looking at the whole Adidas jersey, how you package everything. But on the back end, towards um, I mean towards the sponsors, your clients, and everything, how 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 are you working differently with them as compared to other SPL clubs? Okay, so for us, it's something we don't go, okay, most of of, of clubs is either somebody knows somebody in in uh, a corporate organization and then they got them on board because of friendship or, you know, relationship most of the time. But Leicester is aging towards a brand where people willing to lend their support because it is a club that can be marketable. So right now, what we are, okay, the team of marketing that 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 I'm prom- promoting is a very personal touch and a very customized uh, experience. For example, today if you buy a jersey from us and you have it delivered to your place, it comes in a nice magnetic black box with a shiny uh, Ballester Calsa logo. And even the cotton box that is, is packed in is with uh, Ballester branding. And it comes with a message from myself saying thank you for the support. You know, so... When a person buys and receive receive it, you know, it gives them a feel-good factor and they always look forward to the next purchase. Yeah. So the same kind of experience, we bring it to our partners and sponsors where we make them feel that the money that they, they put with us is something very personal and something that's very close to their heart. Yeah. Like, especially when you put it into youth development, when you see the boy, we always all give uh, reports on how money is being spent and how certain group of boys develop from where before the funding comes in to where they are now in terms of football and in terms of academic or football. So having said all that and looking back on when you first started as um, Ballester Kalsa Deputy Chairman, 
and to now today how different has it been how how much have you brought Palestine towards where you want them to be wow this is a very tough question because there's no benchmark to compare with uh i mean before i took on the role i also did a lot of uh study on previous chairmen people like patrick ang you know very notable people how they actually drive their clubs gelang and and what not it's a very different approach because for them is they are using uh connections and influence to run for me is changing the dynamics of the club so it's tougher and is there's no benchmark that i can compare to uh as a precedent you know uh but overall there are times where, especially now that i have my son i i kind of have moments where i regret being in football you know because <laughs> i miss out on a lot of first things that my son does but i think what keeps me going is still the passion and the belief that singapore football can change and that the way to change is to have more people come on board instead of staying behind your keyboard and come out there and do and make a difference in your own way you know we're not we're not asking for someone to come in and just uh be there physically at the club but take what you're good at your your strong points and bring an offer to local football it can be anywhere any club but what we need is people to come forward because the only biggest stakeholder that can change the game is people surrounding the game you know because that will provide motivation for the professional players to up their game it will then provide motivation for also the national players to understand that the fear of disappointing the masses to make sure that they keep up their best performances all the time yeah and that it's it's nice that you said that because i feel that you know us fans are not being looked at enough by by our clubs even as a temple supporter i don't think that they are that much affected by whether we are at the stadiums or not because I mean sometimes they don't even earn that much from from ticketing and everything but for me if I were to come in and then I see Belestia as a as a nice club with with that image I would want to support Belestia definitely I think it's all about fan connection I, that's the most important thing even when you see through this is something that I gripe quite a lot of and that's why I do stuff that I do for SG Football Cup SG Football podcast because you know you don't see coverage of fans you do not see people these fans at the forefront of what the clubs are trying to drive and that's the most important part you don't go on you know um other team social media pages and see oh there's a fan who's in front of a camera speaking to people nothing you know it takes us like alternative media to bring in fans to talk to fans and then put the content out there we don't see that with with clubs nowadays yeah so even like see for myself if you seen uh the period where the gates are open for fans what we did was we went to the stands to give away jerseys and greet the fans so to me that is the 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 basis of football uh, to gather the the support so what we are one other model that i was personally toying is to look at how we can look like models like uh bayern munich and all that where fans invest in the club you know and then now they have a say and then secondly depending on the investment that they put in you also have make the club uh spend money in a certain direction where we can be better than where we are now you know let's say for example i would term balestier as a developmental club now maybe with with fans buying in into the club we can be a competitive elite club you know yeah given that uh we are based in topayo everybody is very rooted you know people who stayed in topayo have been there for maybe 20 30 years you know 
there's a sense of belonging. So these are identities which clubs have lost over the years. And now it's time to bring back this. Uh, and I'm very heartened to see when our doors are open, if you look at our social media pictures, these fans, we are talking about people below 30 years old, coming as couples, coming, as group, coming in as group of friends, which is typically not there in local football because most people who come are punters who bet on the game, you know, old uncles, this and that. But things have changed. And that that is a, a testament to our marketing efforts that we are reaching the right group of people uh, in, 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 in our social media and in the cyberspace. Yeah. And these people will have go on to have children and their children will be Palestinian yes. yes. fans. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is also the other part. If you notice, we have also come out with a lot of kids apparel, kids jerseys. Uh, we, again, is selling brand royalty. Second is to earn or win the, the young ones over, you know. At this point of time, not many clubs or I don't think any other club have kids jersey except for us. So if a parent who wants a local uh, kids jersey they have to buy us because no one else, you know. So eventually, from there, we are hoping to write that on and 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 uh, form a fan base around this this initiative. Someone might might say that oh, you can do all your marketing, but you still like the a mid table club best of the rest. Are you do you do you get affected by that sometimes? Okay, I mean, over the years, I've got people in football who come to me and say I have not I've not done anything for the past four years, really. Okay. So it, it depends on how you look at what like is have being you done. not seen my work. <laughs> That's right. That's the thing. Yeah. It's it's underappreciated. Yeah. So it, it depends on what you see being done. To me, the commercial stature of a club does not translate to performance on the field. We are doing well outside the realms of the field, but what's on the field is something that we need to work on still. And we admit that, right? So while I can market a club and make it sellable within a season, I cannot have the same influence on the field because it takes a longer time for things to be developed and the results to come. So right now, what we do is, I always believe that there's no point in changing the first team because the product around the market is just like that. Even if I'm going to rotate or go and find players in other clubs to achieve a temporary success with money, it can be done. But the point is, what happens to the pipeline? So for me, I would rather work on the pipeline and invest heavily in youth so that in years to come, Balestel will be a team that can compete at a higher level. Yeah. So for many people, of course, I get affected when people say, you know, you do so much. I mean, I've got my very close friends who call me after a game and say, hey, you waste your time, lah, you know. Oh. Uh, do so yeah. much in the end also, still lose, you know. I mean, we get that also. Right? Yeah, <laughs> what that, are you doing in yeah. local football? Who yeah. wants to listen? So that's the thing. There's too much comparison to like EPL, to all other forms of football outside Singapore. For me, we are as long as we are Singaporeans, as long as we are carrying the pink IC, who cares about what happens outside Singapore? Yes. Mm, For me, true. yeah, I, I watch EPL as well, but my heart is on my sleeve working very hard for Singapore football, which I feel has got a big potential. I'm not going to put a price tag to, to, to what Singapore football potentially can be, but to me, the very, very first point is it can be a very big unifying tool to garner all Singapore, uh, I mean Singapore citizens behind the game, and that is the very, that's the very essence of football around the world. Why a lot of people are sponsoring and putting money into the game because it's one of the sport that can unify people. So right now, given that we are so divided because of pandemic and because of whatever is going on, I think it's very high time that we use the game 
to get everybody back, you know? And like, you know, a lot of people asking, you know, about the future of the game, uh, how we're going to qualify, this and that. Everybody plays a part, you know? So for me, I would, at this point of time, if you ask me, my own personal perspective is to get everybody on the same page. There's just too much negativity and there's too, it's too toxic, the, the, the industry. So I would rather, at this point of time, get everyone together, give them a voice, you know, and let them speak out whatever grievance that they had with the local game, the past, the present, and what they want to see in the future. And if all of us are on the same platform, on the same uh, uh, common ground, that, that's the only way for us to be together, unified and pushing for the betterment of the game. As long as we carry baggage for whatever reasons that we've, we've had in the past, it's going to be very difficult for us to move forward because there's always resistance and there's always people criticizing one another. It's nice, and I think he pretty much covered our, our yeah, rapid man. fire question already. The last <laughs> one, especially, <laughs> yeah. we still have to ask the question. But but uh, Darwin, I have to say that out of all the guests, there haven't been uh, there haven't been many of them that get it. You know, when I when we speak to them, sometimes we have questions to ask, and then we kind of have our own reservations. But when speaking to you, it's just an honor to pick your brain and t see what. What you're doing with Ballester, where you're going, um, which direction you're taking them, I think it's quite admirable. I think that's the thing. It's it's all about getting the perspective of someone who's from the outside looking in. I think because you weren't involved in football previously, only until 2011, I think then after the whole perspective changed, you know, I think it's great to see, you know, forward-thinking people like yourself actually driving forward the local game now, especially. So actually, let's go into the rapid-fire questions. So I'll take the first two, Kabir the next two, then the final one. Um, okay, so Darwin, starting with this one. Uh, one local player who has left a lasting impression on you. Left a lasting impression on me would be, to, to me personally, is uh, Indra because first of all, I'm close to him, but I've seen his struggles and where, where he has been. And I feel that he's one of those players that deserve more than what that for what he have achieved, lah, you know. We always talk about the other names and all that, but not someone who has given us quite a substantial part of his life. Lah. Uh, best moment in football so far? Uh, best moment would be winning the IWL, to be honest. Because when I left and uh, in 2016, after winning the first division, I thought that, you know, it's going to be a very tough time to recreate everything. But we magically did it in one season. So that that uh, was also my introduction into league football officially. All right. Third question. One gripe that you have about the football infrastructure in Singapore. Okay, so we... I mean, being very honest, we, we really have insufficient infrastructure. Because you're looking at, let's say, for example, Balestier, one Topayo Stadium, we are fielding so many squads, you know, and everybody is going for the prime time, five to seven, seven to nine. How many trainings can you do during that two hours, uh, four hours, you know? So what I, I, I hope is that we can have access to more training fields. I don't need stadiums for my youth teams, but I need some uh, a reasonable playing ground for them to train. All right. Fourth question. Your wish for Ballester Culture? Of course, my, my dream was to, we had, we had chances even last season to bring Ballester to AFC Cup. Uh, we lost out on one point last season. And uh, there's always been my immediate goal to feature the team in AFC Cup. Uh, 
Yeah. So that that to me would help further elevate and let the club be in a better standing regionally. And uh, finally, of course, your wish for Singapore football. Wow, this is a big one. Uh, Doesn't have to be rapid. Just, okay. <laughs> just answer the question. <laughs> to be honest, I think Singapore football, there's a lot, a lot of potential. The only problem is we can't seem to get our heads together. Everybody have a different perspective on policies, on rules, on everything that's surrounding football. So, and I think the biggest issue we have here is we do not communicate well. We do not go out there and tell the public what we think or what we plan. You know, we think that, uh, and that led to a lot of uh, accusations, a lot to a lot of hatred. People think we are not doing anything. But the very fact that we are as hurt as everyone else in the fraternity over the results and this and that. But the only thing that we can do right now is to refrain ourselves from reacting to certain media that wants us to react and put our act together to come up with reasonable solution that we think that can carry the game forward. A lot of decisions that are going to be made or are made will not, favor, will not be favorable to people because most people will want Singapore to be successful tomorrow. But this cannot be done. We are dealing with a product that has been damaged over the years. There were a lot of uh, reasons why it turned out this way, which I myself have been doing a review away from, from my roles in, in FA and in, in Balestia to understand what went wrong. And I think that we firstly need to settle what is important to play the game, which is infrastructure, the, the what do you call it, um, technical capabilities of the coaches, thirdly, the mindset, you know. And I always believe that it's not about the money. You know, if you have an even playing chance to compete against very good teams in Asia, the money is secondary. You know, we are here to create history. Oh, and with that, that will be the end of the podcast today. The Don himself here today. Uh, definitely a very insightful conversation, especially upon Singapore football. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming. Thank you guys. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for coming, man.